Hello and good evening. You're listening to Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Peter Frey and my esteemed producer tonight is Anthony Dockrell. Coming up, the government has just dropped its sixth written complaint on the ABC in five months, this time taking aim at journalist Laura Tingle, Barry Cassidy and Andrew Probin. Guess that's the break from uh, attacking Emma Alberici. But what is going on there? A group of Australian journalists, including veteran political journal Paul Bongiorno, have been denied travel visas to China. They were going with the former New South Wales Premier Bob Carr. Is this what the news media has to expect from the fallout of frosty relations between Canberra and Beijing? The much-talked-about foreign espionage bill looks like it's going to get up with bipartisan support. Just how big a deal is this for journalism in this country? And finally, Barnaby Joyce, yes, Barnaby Joyce, has dominated this week's news cycle, but the same can't be said about the ratings for the Barnaby Tallow TV special. Was it all worth it? Joining me in the studio this evening are... Geraldine Doog, the presenter of Saturday Extra on Radio National, whose glorious career spans print, TV and radio. Hello, Geraldine. Hello, Peter. And on the line from Melbourne is Brett McLeod, star presenter and reporter for Channel 9, and one of the reasons to watch commercial TV in that fair city. Welcome, Brett. Hello, how are you? Oh, we're all very well. So, the ABC and the Coalition have been driving along a rocky road of late, and last week, relations between the government-funded broadcaster and the government hit another large pothole. Communications Minister Mitch Firefield formally complained to the ABC about its coverage on Friday, making it the sixth complaint in five months from the government. In recent times, the government has complained about articles written by Emma Alperici, the change in the date of the Triple J's Hottest 100, and a couple of comedy sketches for good measure. Uh, this time, Fifield is taking aim at the ABC's 7pm news in, and the Insiders program and a story on the website, all discussing the timing of the five by-election on 28 July, initially the same date as the Labour Party National Conference. The guts of the complaint is that the ABC dared to report Labour's claims that the government had picked the date to coincide with that national conference. That, in other words, it was all political. Heaven forfend. Uh, the government not only denied this, but took great exception to the ABC reporting, and I quote, repeating, I quote, a Labour lie as fact. Caught up in this complaint for the ABC are Laura Tingle, Barry Cassidy and Andrew Probin, and for good measure, Fairfax journalists Mark Kenny and Phil Curry. So, first up, what about the Fifield complaint, Geraldine? Does mm. he have a point about the ABC repeating, quote-unquote, Labour lies, or is this just reporting the cut and thrust of politics? Well, look, if you really read the specifics of what Andrew Probin in particular said on 7pm, he could have perhaps added a couple of clever little riders uh, that he could have, because he actually did say, because I was reading it, uh, that the Prime Minister has decided when in fact it was the Speaker and the AEC. I, uh, I think you could very clearly imply, as Laura Tingle did, I thought more successfully, mm. that it sort of beggared belief that this was done without some sense that they were messing up the Labor plans. And it was nine weeks. I mean, the irony is I think it could be an own goal for the coalition because 
Now, Labor's repositioned its conference to December, mm. and there was, as somebody pointed out, the chance for all sorts of embarrassing headlines to emerge in July, around about the time that we would have thought we'd maybe earlier July we'd have uh, these elections, these mm. five by-elections. So, look, he could have chosen, he could have maybe put a couple of little riders in, mm. but it, there just does seem to be this pattern emerging, particularly from Senator Fifield, that mm. quite surprises me. Having dealt with Senator Fifield, you know, uh, up in Canberra when we've gone up as part mm. of the ABC's sort of charm offensive there twice, and he's always been extremely flattering about me and my voice uh, and as blah, he blah, blah. Be, of course, <laughs> Thank you. Yes, course. quite so. Yes. <laughs> I've, look, I just. I'm mystified by well, it. Yes, it is interesting. I, I think, you know, Brett, Brett, bringing you in here on this, I mean, look, the government complaining about the ABC is nothing new. No, it's not. Uh, but what is seems to be a new thing is that it's becoming very public. So, you know, we seem to be finding out about it on a very regular basis that these complaints are being made. So there's a change in tactic, if not a change in the substance. What do you make of that, Brett? The only thing that puzzles me in all this is why it's happening so frequently. I mean, if this is a court, there's a danger Mitch Byfield will be seen as a vexatious litigant, <laughs> bringing in so many complaints. And this one, I, I agree with Geraldine, it perhaps the, the phrasing could have been slightly more couched uh, in mm. the way, in, the, in terms of context. But ultimately, I think we got the idea in everyone's reports there's no way the Speaker of the House is going to make this decision without consulting with the Prime Minister. So to call the Prime Minister's decision... Well, he said he did, consulted leaders of his party. He actually said exactly. that. Yeah, that's said right. That. Yeah, I mean, and, like, uh, yeah, OK. But the and, government... and, that's, and that's a fair bit of reporting and commentary around that because really we are talking about commentary mixing in with reporting. I think everyone was pretty much on the same page. On well, that's the interesting thing about this, I think, is that, uh, you know, in a sense, you know, one of the sort of, if you like, the conventions of journalism is, uh, and maybe it's the wrong convention, maybe it's one that needs to be think of, we should think about changing, but, you know, there's an issue, the government of the day says this, and then the opposition seeks to portray it as something else. I mean, that's just the way reporting happens, isn't it? it, well, it, it yes, it is. Look, there is, there is talk that um, there's a great deal of flagging, what you just said then about it being flagged publicly, six mm. complaints from mm. Firefield. Uh, that he's he's registered, let alone the two handwritten uh, critiques by the Prime Minister, uh, allegedly, of uh, Emma Alberici. So maybe they are trying to send a message to others in their own party. This is part mm. of the speculation that they are of a more conservative bent, that they are clamping down mm. on the ABC. And look, what distresses me is that they think it's a casualty-free zone. Mm. Mm. <laughs> now, that... Mm. That is what bothers me. So, in other words, um, look, I don't think our uh, managing director, Michelle Guthrie, I don't think she lands massive blows in a public space the way Mark Scott would. And I think that if you did hit out at, uh, when Mark Scott was a leader, uh, he he would come back with – he was extremely deft on his feet mm. in public. He and was a politician. He really. was. He was a politician. Yeah, yeah. And so they knew they'd get something back. I don't even think they're worried about that now mm. just because I don't actually think that's massively her skill set mm. is public defence. The chairman, you know, <laughs> I mean, Tony Walker, the, your former esteemed colleague, wrote a devastating piece in The Age the other day um, and two days later saying, where is the board? Where is the board in all of this discussion? And the board finally sort of came out saying, everybody calm down. So I think it's the fact that they feel 
there'll be nothing that goes wrong for yes, them. Yes, yes. So it's interesting. Is that the, again, back to you, Brett. But it, you know, that John Howard always said that the ABC was, uh, you know, our enemies talking to our friends, which I thought was a very, very succinct way of perhaps putting his uh, his people at ease in a way. Mm. But you've, you know, you you see the cut and thrust of TV. I mean. Yeah, and I also think, too, that um, like I've seen the ABC being a punching bag for all shapes of government ever since I've been a journalist. And I've never worked for the ABC. Mm. Uh, I've been mm. no more than a, an occasional guest, and that's about it. Uh, but I always feel it's an easy target. And I think, too, when you see... You know what surprised me about this letter from Mitch Firefield was when he wrote down that you're reporting, the accused of the ABC of reporting a Labor lie as fact... That's a technique politicians mm. often use to try to undercut journalists in press conferences when mm. they say, oh, you're just repeating opposition or government talking points as mm. though we're not capable of coming up questions on our own. And I just thought it, it made the complaint look a bit amateurish, to be honest. Amateurish, but I, I think to Geraldine's point, uh, it's, it is interesting that the, that the, you know, the CEO of the ABC and, and the editor-in-chief, as she is, seems quite silent on this. And uh, I have invited her to come on the show and, and enjoy a whole half hour of the Fourth Estate. I, let's hope she takes up that uh, offer. Might. She might. I think she should. Because I think you're right, Geraldine, that um, she's a very different person than uh, Mike Scott. Different skill set. I mean, not saying she has no, good no, skills. Exactly. Far from it. Not but saying that. It's perhaps as we enter into a full-on election cycle, it is also something going on there, right? This idea to tame the ABC a little bit as we... Ready for another federal election? Well, I think it's certainly shots across bows, and I think that um, apparently in Victoria, in, in particular, there's quite a lot of um, movement at the station inside the Liberal ranks too. Mm. So whether this is playing a role, um, I mean, I really wish the board would say more. Mm. I, I, you know, I wish the board would give the staff good narratives for them to hold on to. I think the staff is really under a great deal of pressure because you can you can see mm. the incredible changes inside the organization as it yeah, tries to right. sort of model itself for the, to to go across television radio and online platforms and reach new audiences and so on who are using their um, devices totally differently so there's unbelievable amount of disruption internally and I think it is the job of people who are in charge to give the staff narratives to hold on to. Can I just finish on this point then, Geraldine? Why, you should be on the board, should you not? <laughs> <laughs> Peter, what a thing to say. <laughs> outrageous, outrageous. Um, you're listening to The Fourth Estate, where journalists talk about journalism. I'm Peter Frey, and joining me this week uh, is Geraldine Duke in the studio, ABC superstar. I, it's, I'm, it's an honour to be in the same studio oh, as Peter. her. <laughs> and Brett McClave from Channel 9, uh, pulled up on a, near Docklands, apparently, in a car in Melbourne. In the shadow of a giant wheel. In the uh, shadow of a giant wheel. <laughs> Excellent. At the moment. Um, this week marked a clear downturn in relations between Australia and China with the news that a delegation of Australian journalists have been refused visas for a planned visit to uh, Beijing and beyond. The trip was being organised uh, by the Australia-China's Relations Institute, which is based at UTS in Sydney, and headed by the former New South Wales Premier and one-time journo, Bob Carr. Previous trips have included the likes of ABC's Frank Kelly and several other people, in fact. And this one had veteran Canberra insider and Saturday paper economist Bongiorno on the trip. The Carr blames the incident, interestingly, on the hardening of anti-Chinese rhetoric from the Australian side, saying that, quote, we're the American ally with the most adversarial rhetorical position 
toward China. So are the journos getting in the neck because of Canberra's stance? Uh, what do you think, Brett? Uh, well, actually, interestingly, as you say this, our state political report, Andrew London, Channel 9 in Melbourne, um, has just left China, uh, having visited there with a delegation from the Victorian government, including the Premier. And he said that I asked him about this, this issue, and he said, we had no problems, but we had a letter from the governor of the, the particular province they were going to, allowing them access. So at that level, journalists are still being allowed in. I find it curious timing. Is it, is it a direct result of comments about right of passage of the South China mm. Sea that we saw that issue come up uh, again last week? Or is there, is there some other underlying issue between the particular institution and the Chinese government I'm not aware of? I don't know. But it does show this continual tension we are going to have with China, where economically we are absolutely tied to them. Politically, we're at a different ends of the spectrum. And we can't expect that we're going to have the same sort of access all the time. But this makes me wonder what sort of game plan we can expect in the future. Well, absolutely. I mean, look, let's, let's you know, look at what's happened in recent times in the world of journalism. In this country, we've had a very forthright uh, reporting by the ABC Four Corners, uh, with some very forthright reporting in Fairfax as well around the same time, and a few other other things have been going on too. And there is a debate, which Bob Carr is very much part of. In fact, he, Bob Carr is often portrayed as being too pro-China. Indeed he is. And mm. uh, so there's a very interesting thing going on. So you'd think that the safest person to go to China with these days would be Bob Carr, but so... What's going on here, do you think, Geraldine? You know, are we is this, as you say, the fallback from this sort of robust reporting, or is it just, you know, China sending a bit of a, a shot across the bows? Oh, I think it's very much a result of a, a, a series of um, tonal changes mm. from about, oh, well, I date it to about August last year. Mm, mm. I mean, I went to the Shangri-La Dialogue, the one that is in the news this week, last mm. year, and heard Malcolm Turnbull give an excellent speech uh, about the role of China and very, I thought it was a very, I didn't actually think it was terribly well reported, a very inviting, you know, we, we see that you're coming, we have some queries about it, but we, we see that you're coming and it wasn't exactly a welcome, but it was it was a very good speech by Turnbull. Yeah. And then sort of two months later, yeah. and, you know, talking about Thucydides' trap, you know, that yeah. this is how we've got to, we must we make must sure make we, we don't yep. fall into the sort of inevitability of big power conflict when mm-hmm. one power is mm-hmm. dropping and one's rising. And then it turns on a dime. Mm. And that's me, they're, they're almost evil. And it's, look, I've never been satisfied that we've heard what the reason is. And I'm not alone. A lot mm. of people say, you know, we had Duncan Lewis, the head of ASIO, coming out saying uh, that these, these are, there are serious issues and really going very close to questioning the loyalties of local Chinese, that, mm. that they, they didn't know quite where their loyalties lay. And I think that Carr has been warning, ironically. I mean, I'm not, you know, I sit opposite the Chowchak Wing building. <laughs> so I see the famous uh, man who donated money to the, um, you know, yeah. this is the Frank Gehry building. Carr has been warning about this. I think it's, de- I think that we just, we don't matter enough, if you know what I mean. Mm. We, they want us, to, they like us, but we're just suddenly have turned. Mm. And I think they're sending very clear messages. Mm. See, I was invited on that trip, actually. Oh, really? Yes, I was. No, and could. I decided I couldn't go for other reasons because I'm going to a wedding in Hawaii, a friend of uh, a young friend. Um, so, I think you've got a much better deal. I think you think I've got a better deal. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I think it's, uh, 
I think it's quite serious. Well, it does go to the issue, the broader issue of the reporting of China Mm. in this country. And, you know, another place to trace this back to would be Clive Hamilton's book, Indeed. The Silent Invasion. Indeed. And I think that the success of that book has taken a lot of people by surprise. Not now, but, you know, when it first came out, it went off like a rocket, really, that book. And... And well, Dastiari didn't help. I well, mean, the whole Dastiari story. It was a series of sort of, as you, if you like, unfortunate incidences. But uh, interested in your take, Brad, on on the kind of reporting of China because it mm. is a very subtle story on one level, right? It's, it's a, and I, it's one that's gaining currency. I mean, I work for a commercial network, and we probably haven't reported a great deal on China, particularly political relations with China in recent years. But it, I know that uh, Chris Yulman, ex ABC, now uh, with Nine has been very strong on this, particularly in the past few weeks. And I think it's all important that there is an awareness of the the government we're dealing with and the fact that we have a complex relationship with China. I mean, China's relationship with the world continues to change, particularly as America removes itself from our power sphere, from influencing our part of the world. China continues to flex its muscles. It's going to have a relationship with us that I guess we're going to have to be aware as journalists that we can't expect to get access in the way that we might have in the past. Uh, But also by the same token, I don't want us to change our type of reporting based on whatever the Chinese government does to journalists. I'd like to think we can continue to keep it open or as much as we can. Yeah, no, fair point, Jerry. Uh, well, in fact, I was just actually, I pulled out John Menadieu, who used oh. to be head of Prime Minister and Cabinet uh, for both Fraser and Whitlam. He's got this uh, blog called Pearls and Irritations, and he has, he's very annoyed that Andrew Hastie, you know, the man who came out and did the big vent uh, mm. under parliamentary, parliamentary privilege, yeah. had actually, it turns out, it's been revealed uh, that he told a um, ASIO operative an hour and a half before that he was going to do this, and Duncan Lewis knew about it, who's the head of ASIO. Mm. They're both ex-SAS men, but the Prime Minister didn't know until he was on his feet. And John Menadieu finds that absolutely outrageous. And he said in this, we've known for months about Duncan Lewis's public role, but now we learn, at least in part, how he's been acting behind the scenes. And we have also seen our mainstream media, including the ABC, in thrall of the spy narrative. They fall for the untested and gossipy titbits. They're prepared to accept stories and advice from ASIO while dismissing experts of long-standing on China as either China lobbyists or stooges. Now, honestly, I think there's an element of real truth in that. I think it's incredibly challenging for us as journalists to work out mm. how we do alert our readers to the challenges of having our main friendship with the US, but our main commercial relationship with China, and how we accept that there are differences there, but not to to sort of go back into unconscious bias. Mm. You know, mm. almost some of it's, to be honest, I think some of it's bordering on yellow peril. Well, I think the Hasty thing, I mean, that's an interesting challenge, isn't it? So Hasty stands up in Parliament, uses privilege to say all sorts of things about all sorts of people. Hard to ignore it, right? Yeah. But at the same time, even harder to put it in context within that sort of breaking news space. Right? Very. Almost impossible. Very. So that goes to manager's point that, of course, we've seemingly the media's falling to some sort of spy narrative. Well, because it's 
gorgeously exciting, you know. And it's and I think look, what for me it's meant is that you know Hugh White, Mm. the uh, international, the analyst, said what four five years ago, talking about prescient, we will have to become vastly more sophisticated in how we deal with this because we haven't been here before. And I thought, oh yes, you know that's smart. I realise that is coming true now, Um, and I think Four Corners had to deal with that, you know, and. For what, I, I try to deal with it regularly, yeah. um, and I'm interested, Brett, that you say that now, you know, your outlets are sort of realising there's a there's a real story here in a way, but mm. how we nuance it. Mm. A real uh, and Brett, a real challenge for commercial TV. Very big right? challenge for commercial. Well, it is, and, I, and look, largely the story in China over the past few years has been a commercial one about mm. Um, right. they're mm. then buying our iron ore and then pushing up the stock market, all that sort yep. of thing. So that's yep. been not taking our place. Yeah, yep. the rise of China economically has been mm. good, but now we come with this other story of um, Chinese alleged interference in our politics, mm. and certainly political donations and that sort of thing. How do we comp- how do we not only report on that but give it some sort of context? Well, we're trying to figure it out for ourselves, and the hasty thing was particularly interesting because it would be. The timing of it, uh, you can certainly argue there's a political backstory there, but also trying to report on that and mm-hmm. give it some sort of context using the name of a businessman that uh, yeah. I think most people would not be aware of makes it tricky. Yeah, it does certainly make it tricky. And it actually feeds beautifully into our next subject, um, which we're going to have a chat about the foreign espionage bill. So mm-hmm. uh, you're listening to the Fourth Estate, and I'm Peter Frey, and tonight we are talking to Geraldine Duke, the reason to listen to Radio National on a Saturday morning. And several other times, I might say. And Brett McLeod, who uh, I think was probably the sharpest tack in Channel 9's tool shed. Is that a fair, oh. descript- is that a fair description, Brett? <laughs> no. Just I say cannot, yes. I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> oh, indeed. Okay. After months of negotiations, it looks like both the Coalition and Labour have finally agreed to a series of amendments to the controversial foreign espionage bill. Uh, the devil, of course, will be in the detail, uh, but there's much concern about the very limited protection the bill is likely to give journalists who handle information deemed against the public or against the national interest. It is expected that under the bill there will be no blanket exceptions for journalists breaking stories only for those that fit into this very into a very narrow definition of public interest. So it's, as I say, the devil is in the detail, but it's it's pretty hard to keep the powerful to account if you are in jail. So um, I'm interested in what you think, Geraldine. This is a tricky one, isn't it? But, but I think, you know, we, we, as I say, we need to see the, the, uh, the devil, uh, the detail. But uh, it does seem that this is going to restrict our capacity to do our job. Look, I can't make up my mind whether yeah. it is or it isn't. The, the truth is I've really listened. I heard a, a good discussion last night on um, Radio National Drive with the, uh, um, the Canberra reporter, talking about, see, there are two different, full different yes. bills, too. And so, I, I, honestly, I'm not sure. I find it hard to believe that, uh, see, I thought it was more that that you could, uh, if you believed it was reasonably in the public interest, you could report it. I thought that was going to be the test. Issue, so it? it's a definitional issue. Mm. And you know, I suppose this... that goes right back to Mitch Fifield making complaints to the ABC. I suppose there's a nice... Well, sort it, of and it goes to there. absolutely, and it goes to the Senate inquiry into public interest journalism. I know and, and all these things that we seem to be grappling with, which you kind of figured were were kind of fixed, but apparently not. They seem to be much more fluid than we thought. That's quite true. And um, so, look, maybe we've got to rely on the Senate. Can I say that? Oh no, I know. 
God help us. But, uh, so that, but, but Brett, those who support the bill argue it's needed to protect Australia's interests and national security, going you know, to this China stuff we were just talking about. Yeah, do you think, journos, are we making too much of this? I mean, I don't know. Where do we pitch our tent as journos? I think as journalists, we've always got to push back against anything which is going to limit sure. our ability to do journalism. And I think, yes, we're all aware of the need to be um, protecting Australia's interests in in the case of possible foreign interference. Uh, but when the law, the laws they're considering look at material that is, quote, harmful or likely to harm Australia's interests, who decides that? Mm. When we say, is the Australian interests into the Australian government? Is it the Prime Minister? What's mm. the definition there? For example, you had a story about a future Prime Minister caught in a compromising position in a hotel room in Moscow and videotaped to go with that. <laughs> Could that be harmful to Australia's interests? Certainly harmful and to that future Prime Minister's interests. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's the point. So mm. that, that, to me, it does, mm. it's what you were saying, Geraldine, about the definition mm. is, to me, crucial in all this. Maybe there's got to be, and maybe we'll find out, there is some sort of um, final appeal you can make where somebody makes a judgment on that. I, I haven't heard this, but I'm just thinking of how how you get out of this because it's, it is bipartisan, isn't it, this, well, these latest, it, So it seems Labor is talking about it having made 60 amendments. So I think we'll, we'll leave it at that because I think we need to come back to this one in another show. Um, mm. I think there's some big issues here, and I agree with you. So, um, you know, the definition of what is in the public interest and the national interest is probably worthy of a show all of itself. Well, I mean, it, it is all tied awesome. up with this China thing. You Absolutely. See? I mean, it, uh, the only thing I'd say is I've been I've been scouring the place for sort of some real sense. And Brett, you may know more than I about what was it. There was something that made them all freak out. And there is something in um, again in John Menadue's Stephen Fitzgerald, who was our first ambassador, yeah. and Linda Jacobson, who runs that China Matters uh, think tank mm. thing. They did say that there. They had they clearly speculated that the security agencies had uncovered more than one effort to break into the internal communication systems of two of our government departments. Now, if that one of those was defence, mm, you can see that that is super serious, and especially if we're in with the Americans with a Five Eyes arrangement. So that was the first actual thing, other than Dastiari, that I heard that I thought, ooh, this could have turned them all. But still no reason to criminalise journalism. Certainly not. No, indeed. <laughs> Certainly not. Okay, well, you're listening to Fourth Estate, coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Aurora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. And I'm Peter Frey. And I, before we go on, I would like to make a, a slight plea, which is, you can make donations to 2SER, um, and it's getting towards the end of the financial year, and they're tax deductible because, you know, we're poor. We're, we're poor. We have DGI. We're poor. We're a poor radio station. So uh, <laughs> while you're enjoying this show, please think about uh, chucking a few dollars our way. Uh, we couldn't let the uh, week go by without talking about one Barnaby <laughs> Joyce. I'm very sorry, but Barnaby Joyce, Vicky Campion, and that interview on Channel 7. So, just 631,000 people tuned in across the five major cities to watch the interview that cost Channel 7 $150,000. That works out at about uh, 24 cents per viewer. Is that value for money? Well, not when Channel 7 executives were reportedly hoping for one and a half million viewers, according to The Australian. But more to the point, 
Was it good journalism? Now, Brett, I know you work for the other mob. Uh, <laughs> That's right. So we're going to say that straight away. You work for the other mob. But yeah. what do you think? Was it money well spent? Uh, and did the interviewer, Alex Cullen, do a good job? And I did read, I had no inside knowledge on this, I did read that Nine was, uh, was bidding for the mm. same interview oh, I'm as sure. well. You would have done, um, you know, do, we'd have done a great job yourself, mate. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, um, I, I just, I didn't care. I, the tech book journalism itself, I, I don't know a journalist who's in favour of it, it's, it just gets in the way so many times. And I think this is part of the problem with it, that mm. when you pay for an interview, what are you paying for? And are, are the rules absolutely clear before you start. Wow. And I think there's always a danger in the journalist, him or herself, getting involved in the negotiations. Mm. Even if you pay for an interview or your organisation pays for it, I think you'd rather... And I've never done that. Um, but I think you'd rather come in at the end of the negotiations. I think just, than, just on that point, I think you make a yeah. really good point, which is uh, not only did the you know shouldn't the journalist get involved in the rules, but also the, the viewers didn't know the rules. I mean, there were clearly rules. There were clearly things that were not going to, you know, were out of limits because there were clearly gaps in that interview, rather large gaps in that interview. And they could have told, perhaps, perhaps it could have been more transparent, more accountable, more objective, whatever, but they, by telling us, the viewer, what the rules were of engagement. I know, am I being a bit naive at that point? Well, possibly, yeah. Look, I think there were written contracts saying you can't ask about XXX, um, I'm not sure. But think about that. But to me, the, the, the big problem with it was we got a lot of the salacious details, which is exactly the sort of thing I really did not want to hear. Mm. Um, mm. But then get to the heart of the issue about ultimately was taxpayers' money badly spent or wrongly spent. And mm. Alex Cullen later on did release some parts of that interview and said we got non-answers, so I didn't use it. I still think it would have been better mm. from Seven's point of view to include some of the non-answers to show, look, we did try. And mm. we got a this response uh, mm. just to nullify some of the criticism. But ultimately, I think yeah, seven, of course, would have been disappointed with those figures. I think when you take into account the regions, it did get close to a million, but uh, it wasn't a great result given it got enormous publicity. Well, and and also, I mean, the public really, you know, it started about six mid six hundreds, and it they dropped about two hundred more or less in the first few minutes. So. Do you think, Geraldine, that we're all just kind of thoroughly sick mm, of this story? Is that what really was going on on Sunday night? Well, I th- I didn't watch it. I made a conscious decision not to watch it. I'm afraid. Um, I um, look, it's very interesting. This I, I, for instance, I've got an interview with a pre-recorded interview with Jermaine Greer. I think I'm the only coming up next week. Uh, she's re. Bringing the, out her the rape stuff. No, oh. Oh. no. Okay. This is very beautifully. I didn't prompt you. Uh, she doesn't want to talk about that. Oh, really? No. Oh, okay. She's bringing out her book again called The Change, yes. which I read, which yes. was a very, very good book Famous about book. the menopause, etc. And she's done a new foreword or something or other. I haven't got the book yet. Um, and they have said she doesn't. She really wants to talk about this book. She doesn't want to talk about everything else. So I thought, oh, well, now hang on. Mm. So what I I think I've just decided to do, <laughs> your listeners can tune in, is say, 
Um, because I think it'll be such an interesting interview, because oh. any inter- in- interview with Jermaine is she's interesting. Great and, and she's great. And she doesn't do I think anything. I will say, uh, I have agreed to this interview. Now, she's doing lots of extraneous discussions about rape, etc. She doesn't want to talk about that. And I'm going to, th- I think I might even, I'm trying to form the, the question in my mind. I might say to her, now, Jermaine, you're not a blushing violet. Mm. You know, you know how to, wh- what is it that so annoys you about all of this debate? And if she sort of walks out, you know, because Jermaine is taking no prisoners, let yes, me tell right. you, I've interviewed. But I don't think she will. But I'm going to say, I'm coming. I just want to ask you one question before we, so that the, the listeners know that I'm aware mm. that mm. she has been uttering all of this sort mm. of bombshell stuff. Mm. No, so, I mean, it's quite a tricky issue. I think that Brett's quite right. Seven should have been transparent with their viewers. Yeah. And, and said, um, we have agreed to this interview. We have agreed to sideline certain things. You can take us to, uh, to, you know, take issue with us if you like, but we think that there are greater issues or blah, blah, you know, at stake. Well, and I think, I mean, yeah, to your, both of you, your points are, are very well made because I think that in that interview, the bits that I found most interesting were when, was sort of when Barney was getting a bit defensive and saying, I'm not going to go there, I'm not going to go there, and sort of getting red and, you know, what all that sort of stuff. Because, you know, you kind of, you're in, engaged in the narrative because there was an obstacle to come overcome. I was much less interested in the uh, shots of the baby and Vicky and talking about love. Although, you know, I wish them all the well. Do you think all the abortion stuff, I oh, suppose. Yeah. I mean, well, the abortion was a great fi- political angle, right? I mean... Well, was that was a, the problem with, problem with that was, it was, you know, it's a pretty extraordinary claim to make. But was. there didn't seem to be any follow-up. Or mm. who made those? Who said that? Um, and what was your response to them? I mean, just to try and draw it out a bit more, it kind of needed that to give it a bit of an edge, I think. Yes, I agree. I, I, that, and it's interesting that that part of that story, which probably was the most forceful part of it, well, has died. Well, it was died. the most forceful thing yes. of the whole lot, I yes. think. And, I mean, you know, we had Tony Windsor there this morning sort of saying yeah. there's a lot more to come. I mean, I, honestly, I found the whole thing so yes. tawdry. I said, please take it away. Well, this is uh, this is my pledge uh, as, as the host <laughs> of the Fourth Estate. I am not going to talk about Good uh, for at least another two weeks. Let's go to the real issues and talk about Love Island now. Okay? Yes, well, that's right. Oh my God! No, let's not talk about Love Island. That kind of <laughs> makes me want to vomit. I, I honestly don't know what to say about that show. I really don't. No. The less, the better. I think. The yeah. less, the better. Yeah, I think that's the a better very is. good answer. Yeah, great. And yes. <laughs> Well, look, that's it from us on The Fourth Estate. And I'd like to thank uh, the, our guest tonight, uh, Geraldine Duke from the ABC. Pleasure. Thank you, Geraldine. Thank you, Peter. And Brett McLeod from Channel 9 in Melbourne, uh, sitting next to a very large wheel. Thank you, first Brett. T- Long-time listener, first-time caller. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Pleasure's all been all ours, I'm sure. Um, next week, uh, my producer this evening, Anthony Dockra, will be in the host seat. So if you don't like the sound of my voice, you can tune in and listen to him. And make sure you subscribe to The Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so that you can hear us talk media, politics, and a few things in between. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU. My name is Peter Frey, and thank you very much for listening. Good night. (laughs) 